Hi everyone, so we are on part two of Loving Church, our brand new series, looking at what is church. And John last week opened us up with looking at how we all know the church is the people and it's a community, but it's a community of what, he posed the question. And then just as he was about to explain it all, I heard a little knock on the door. Okay, I'm thinking Sunday morning, who's at the door? And I go to the door and there's our friends from down the road who are really lovely um, and who'd heard that Sarah was in isolation. Um, nothing bad, she wasn't unwell, she was just asked to isolate for two weeks, which was a real joy. Um, and they brought us cupcakes, beautiful chocolate cupcakes, and they were delicious. Um, but I want you to remember that, okay? So our friends from down the road brought us cupcakes, just stick it in there, and we'll come back to that in a minute. Anyway, it meant that I had to go and rewatch John's sermon, and he introduced us to this word, Ecclesia, and that basically means like, we are disciples. We are disciples, we are followers of Jesus, we're apprentices to Jesus. And that is one of the primary identities for us as Christians. We're not just a community of people who gather in a building. We're a community who try to follow the teachings of Jesus and walk in step with him and his way of doing life. So what are we this week? Well, this week you are, we are, all of us, we are exiles. Now that might seem a bit of a strange place to start. Um, an exile just being someone who's been sent out from their homeland, they're, they're not allowed to return. And the, you're in exile. What does that really mean? Well, in the Bible, that is a key thing that kind of runs throughout scripture, this theme of being an exile. It, it, you can track it right back to the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve are exiled from the garden for their sin. You then get the stories of how the people of God ended up becoming slaves in Egypt, how they ended up being taken to Babylon as exiles. When they eventually come back from Babylon, they're actually ruled and oppressed by other conquering nations. And they're almost like exiles within their homeland. And then you get the followers of Jesus who are also persecuted. And this exile mindset, whether they're literally in exile away from home or in a physical or emotional or spiritual exile, the people of God and followers of Jesus, this is an identity that they have held more often than not. Now, what does that really mean when I say that you are in exile? Because I'm sure you don't feel like an exile. Well, there's two ways to think about it. First being in our culture, our culture has shifted in a dramatic way in the last sort of 10, 15, 20 years. And it's moved more away from that idea of being a Christian nation and those traditions and good things that we've inherited from our Christian heritage. Um, they're not really there as much anymore. There's been this great moral shift on major things to do with like sex and money and lifestyle choices. And the role of church within our own society has changed. People no longer have to get married in churches or have to sort of get their kids baptised as much. And our, our nation also has a real multi-faith feel to it now that it didn't have so much as long ago. 
And there's also been this massive rise in sort of the whole of the Western world, really, of secularism. Um, basically, a massive scepticism towards anything to do with faith and the rest of it. But I'm sure when you, I say that, like, when you open your front door, it's not like a complete horror show. It's not like you step out and there's like dark clouds, red sky, fire coming up from the ground and the world is ending. It doesn't look like that. The reality is you probably open the door, I mean, a bit like earlier this year, and there's like a few people politely clapping on their doorstep with rainbows in their windows and with like pots and pans banging it around a bit in a dorky kind of British way. Um, and that's, that's the reality. Now let me come back to those cupcakes, you see, because the way they heard we were in isolation and brought us cupcakes, what were they doing? They were our friends, they are our neighbours, they were loving us. They were loving their neighbour. I mean, that is one of the central teachings of Christianity, is to love your neighbour. And they were doing it. So, I mean, a couple of days later, we were still in isolation. We'd run out of potatoes for dinner. We just didn't have enough. They brought round like four potatoes. Now, I'll tell you which one I would have preferred they brought round, more of those cupcakes. But they brought round the potatoes, which made a very delicious dinner. So, um, they were loving us. They were great. They were brilliant friends. But the difference is this. The key difference is this. All these things that we've inherited into our culture have meant that a lot of the Christian teachings, the teachings of Jesus, have become embedded. Love your neighbour. Do good. Um, like so, so many of the key bits that actually, like the idea of charity, the idea of caring for the poor, caring for the homeless, caring for those who are sick. A lot of this is teachings of Jesus that have been inherited into our country. The difference is, it's the kingdom without the king. It's taking all the good things of the kingdom that Jesus taught about, yet removing the king from the position of power and removing the king from needing to be around. So we just get left with these basics. It's like having the principles and the practices without his presence. Now, I was going to kind of open up um, this whole theme of being an exile, and I was going to use like the passage that we got this morning from First Peter, and I was going to use Jeremiah 29, and I, I was going to like kind of hope to take all the credit for this amazing teaching, and da da da. But then there's a brilliant, just a brilliant video that I want to show you by the Bible Project um, that basically tracks a lot of the scriptural stuff that I was kind of wanting to teach in a haphazard kind of chatty way. They do it so much better so I'm just going to let them do it. Um, so I'm going to hand over to the guys at the Bible Project to teach us the way of the exile. In the year 587 BC, the city of Jerusalem was attacked by the Babylonian Empire. And a year later, the city and the temple were plundered and burned. Thousands of Israelites were taken from their homes and relocated all over ancient Babylon. They became exiles. And so now they're a minority surrounded by a new culture with new gods. Now, some Israelites chose to resist Babylon by revolting or withdrawing. Others gave in, adopting the Babylonian way of life and accepting these new gods as their own. 
And you might think those are your only two options, but the prophet Jeremiah told them to do something totally different and surprising. To settle in, build houses, plant gardens, grow families, and most surprisingly, to seek the well-being of Babylon and pray to the Lord on its behalf. So this is like a third way. Yeah, it's not compromise or revolt. What does it look like? Well, there's a whole book of the Bible that explores that question. It's the story of Daniel. Daniel was one of the Israelites taken into the Babylonian exile. And because Daniel had a royal heritage and education, he was recruited along with some friends to work in the high court of Babylon. Work for the enemy? That would be compromise. Or they could gain the king's trust and take him down from the inside. That's what you might expect. But instead, they take Jeremiah's advice and choose the third way. They serve the king of Babylon, taking on Babylonian names and even clothing style. So they seek Babylon's well-being, but in doing so, aren't they just giving up their heritage? It could seem that way, but actually they aren't. As you read on, the story focuses on moments where they draw the line and they choose faithfulness to their God and resist the influence of Babylon. So for example? Well, like when they're commanded to bow down to the idol of Babylon and give allegiance to the king as if he's a God. Ah, they won't go that far. Right, this is where you see their true loyalty. It requires them to critique Babylon's idolatry of power, its arrogance, its injustice, but they do it non-violently by laying down their lives. And so God vindicates Daniel and his friends for their faithfulness. So they would serve Babylon, seek its well-being, but their loyalty was always to God. Yeah, this is what Jeremiah was envisioning. The way of the exile is a combination of loyalty and also subversion. So they're still exiles, but don't Daniel and his friends long to go home? Yes. In fact, Daniel believed that God was going to send a ruler to bring down Babylon and create a true kingdom of peace. Ah, when did he think this ruler would come? Well, at first he thought within his lifetime, but then he had a dream where he found out that after Babylon would come another oppressive empire, then another, then another. And so Babylon did fall and Israel did get to go back home, but now they're ruled by Babylon's successors. And so they maintained the mindset of an exile waiting for their true home to come to them. And they continued the same practice of loyalty and subversion to any new versions of Babylon that came along. And this leads us to the time of Jesus. The empire of his day was Rome, ruled by Caesar. Now, some Israelites wanted to resist, while others gave in and adopted Roman culture and its gods. But watch Jesus carry on the subversive loyalty of Daniel. Like when he said, it's fine to pay taxes to Caesar, give him back his coins. But then he said, don't mistake Caesar for God. God's the one who deserves your total life and allegiance. So the way of Jesus is this same mix of loyalty and subversion. Yeah, like he taught his followers to love and even bless their enemies. But he also got arrested for speaking out against the corrupt leaders of Jerusalem and Rome. He critiqued their idolatry of power and it cost him his life. But God vindicated him by raising him from the dead as the true king of the nations. The king that Daniel had hoped for. Right. And Jesus promised that one day his kingdom would prevail. And so until then, his followers are living in a type of exile. Yeah, this is why the apostle Peter calls followers of Jesus foreigners and exiles. He told them to respect the authorities of whatever place you happen to live, to honor and love all people. But then he reminds them that this isn't their true home. They're still living in Babylon. But well, they're not living in Babylon. Babylon doesn't exist anymore. 
or does it? In the Bible, Babylon has become a symbol that describes any human institution that demands allegiance to its idolatrous redefinitions of good and evil. Okay, so we all live and work in Babylon. How do I seek the well-being of Babylon while my allegiance is to someone greater? Yes, Jesus' followers are called to live in that tension between loyalty and subversion. That's the way of the exile. Brilliant. I hope you really enjoyed that. Um, it is a brilliant bit of teaching and did it so much quicker and better than I could have done it. Um, so massive thanks to them at the Bible Project for producing that. They've got loads of videos that are just as good, I promise you. But three quick points on this idea of being an exile. And before I do the three quick points, I'd really encourage you this week, grab First Peter um, as a letter and read it. It is it is brilliant. It has great advice for being an exile. Just do a bit of a study on your own um, with that letter. It's not very long. Um, but you are sojourners. You are exiles. You are those who are part of the kingdom of heaven living on earth in this tension. So firstly, from this letter that Peter brings out, that Amber has kind of already chatted about, you are chosen. You are chosen by God. You are a holy nation. You're a royal priesthood. He has decided to choose us. He has decided to choose his church to be his representatives here on earth. The church is his vehicle for bringing about the kingdom of God, that where our feet tread, the kingdom comes about. And the difference we can bring might not look so much like living such good lives amongst the pagans as Peter kind of puts it in his letter. But I reckon it's more to do with carrying his presence. You see, like I said earlier, people nowadays, they do love their neighbour quite well. They do care for the poor. They do give to charity. Now, they don't give God the glory because of that, because they've removed the king from the kingdom. But I just have this feeling that it's the difference of having his presence that they will see a closeness to God, a relationship with him, that people think that is what's different and that's what I long for. Like I said, our Western world has some key elements of Jesus' teaching and it's ingrained, but it doesn't recognise this from the king. And it's like they've forgotten and rejected Jesus in some way. And that, that links into Peter's letter where he says that the stone that the builders have rejected has become the chief cornerstone. That is something that we have to wrestle with, that we are chosen by God to live at this time amongst the people that might reject him. Now, secondly, how do we handle that? Well, we settle down, we integrate. There was that position that they talked about in the Bible Project video where it talked about either you can reject and resist the oppressors or you can just shut yourself off and hide away. And we don't want to do either of those. That isn't the right position to be in. Don't hold that position of trying to fight against a cultural shift. You need to settle down. 
and we should integrate and seek the well-being of that nation. The nation of our towns, of our streets, of our community. And as we integrate, we serve others. Remember though, as we integrate and we settle down, remember where our true home lies. We're part of the kingdom. We're part of the kingdom. They're not here, it's heaven. But we are called to bring the good news of that kingdom to others as we journey. So settle down and integrate because you are chosen. And lastly, do not conform and do not compromise. There is a line to be drawn that when it's too far, it's too far. Like Daniel's friends did when they said, no, we will not bow down and worship your God. We just won't do that. There is a point where you have to stand and do not compromise. And that actually comes because it's, it's, a, it's a warning. It's a great trap, actually, that when you do integrate, it, it can be small things that you just begin to compromise on. It can be the small things that the build. It doesn't have to be bowing down to a massive idol. It can be little things in our everyday lives. So much, so much of the modern world does not hold Jesus as the position of king. And this leads to a certain way of doing life. You see, at the end of Judges, you get this line that almost summarises the problem. And it said, in those days, Israel had no king. And all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Now think about that. It's the same picture nowadays. Let me just change it. In our day, people had no king. Jesus. So they all did right. They all did what they thought was right in their own eyes. That is the modern day mantra. Be who you want to be. Um, find the true you. Like It just... <laughs> It's a modern gospel that leaves us empty because we don't get the king. We might get elements and fragments of the kingdom, but we do not have his presence. And that's why Peter, at the end of this section, that we've kind of haven't dug into the specific words, but in this passage, he ends with this kind of warning that says, don't compromise. Sin wages war with your soul, so as exiles don't compromise the exact words are dear friends i urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong they may see your good deeds and glorify god on the day he visits us there's even that glimpse of the internet on the day he visits us, that glimpse of the kingdom, the true home that we are exiled from at the moment and that we are journeying towards. Keep it in mind, but also be aware of how we live our lives because as those who, who don't know God, those who don't know Jesus, as they see us, I long and I desire that they would see something of God's presence. 
I desperately long for someone just to stop one day and we're just chatting about everyday stuff and they say, what is it that is different? Because there's something in me that's walking so closely with Jesus that he just shines through. We are exiles and we don't need to fight against the system. We don't need to kind of bang the Christian drum like this country isn't what it used to be like. None of that. We desperately, desperately need the king. We desperately, desperately want him to come into the lives of those that, that we know and we love. So we're a, we're a community of Jesus followers and we're a community of exiles. Let me just pray quickly. Father God, I thank you that you walk with us, that you are Emmanuel God with us, that you sent your spirit to work in our lives for our good, but also to help bring about your kingdom. So Lord God, I just ask right now that each one of us, you would speak to us, that you would draw close right now and you would point out areas in our lives where we are not your holy people and your royal priesthood, that we have compromised and draw us back to you. Make us holy like you are holy. And God, let us serve people and love people the way you would. In your name I pray. Amen. God bless, guys. Um, there's also another brilliant video about exile um, that the Bible Project have produced. I was toying between choosing which one. Um, so I'm going to leave it in the description below or in the chat or something on YouTube and you should be able to click that after the service and watch another brilliant video um, from them. God bless guys, take care, be exiles, be wonderful, love you.